Welcome to Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard. I'm your host, John Doty. Thanks for listening. Um, this season, we're going into a deep dive of evolution, and we are on Chapter 5, which is titled, The Genetical Theory of Natural Selection. Now, if you ask me, genetical is a fucking made-up word. I know all words are fucking made up, but genetical? What the fuck? Uh, anyways, that's what the book called it, so that's what we're doing, and we're just going to dive right in. So, what it's really focused on is obviously the genetic side of natural selection. So, going through, there's, there are going to be equations, so this one I was a little hesitant to record, because it's going to be a little tricky to explain, so Definitely, definitely go to the website, biologyforbastards.com. Check shit out there. Um, I'll have the slides up there so you can kind of see what the hell I'm talking about because that's going to make things a lot easier for everybody is if you can actually see. Because I'll do my best to describe, but it's going to be a little tricky. There's a lot of equations. Um, so when we talk about selection and inheritance, working on evolution... Um, a trait's going to evolve if there is a correlation between two things. Well, I guess between four things, because there's two different things that's going to affect it. So, a trait will evolve if there's correlation between a phenotypic trait and the number of offspring that individuals leave to the next generation. So, you've got to have a trait corresponding or having a correlation with the number of offspring produced and there has to be a correlation between the phenotype of a trait in the parents and in the offspring. You've got to have the trait with the number of offspring and that trait between parents and offspring. And if those two things, those two, quote-unquote two things, have a correlation, then the trait's going to evolve. But it's going to be very important to remember, and this is a big idea, that natural selection and evolution are not the fucking same thing. They are fucking different. Okay, natural selection is a part of evolution. Evolution is not necessarily natural selection. So they are different. So that's important to kind of make that distinction um, in our minds as we go through shit that natural selection and evolution, they are different. Now, a big part of evolution and natural selection, both, is this idea of fitness. And fitness can be measured in a couple different ways. We can have absolute fitness. We can have relative fitness. We're going to talk about both, um, starting with absolute fitness. Because absolute fitness is the easiest one. And it's just the number of zygotes produced in an organism's lifetime. That's all it is. How many fucking babies do they make? Okay, that's absolute fitness. We abbreviate it with a W, capital W. Okay, so that's absolute fitness. Uh, and it is equal, so this is our first equation, to the probability that the individual survives to maturity times the expected number of offspring if the individual survives. So it's just... What are its chances to live to make babies? And how many babies is, is it expected to make should it live that long? And that's absolute fitness. Now, we can look at the fitness of an allele, of a gene, of a phenotype, whatever the fuck we want. 
and the fitness is going to be the average of the fitnesses of individuals with that allele or that gene or that phenotype, what the fuck ever. Okay, um, so selection is going to be determined where the strength of selection is going to be determined by the differences in fitness. Some individuals are going to be more fit than others, um, and that's going to determine the strength of selection. And that brings us to this idea of relative fitness. And relative fitness is going to be absolute fitness divided by fitness reference that is agreed upon by a large number of individuals. So whatever you're using at this, this fitness reference you're going to divide the absolute fitness by this fitness reference to get a relative fitness. And we abbreviate relative fitness with a lowercase w um, just to make things confusing. So when you're looking at a group of organisms that have different phenotypes and everything, you can have a absolute fitness of each phenotype. Now, when you start comparing them, that's where you bring in absolute fitness. And it is, like I said, equal to the absolute fitness divided by the fitness reference. So you pick the fitness reference, and then you just divide the absolute fitness for each one of those phenotypes to get a number. And obviously, the number for the phenotype that is used as the fitness reference is going to be 1. Everything else is going to be something different. But this is going to play a critical role in determining the speed and the outcome of evolution by natural selection. So it's going to give us a sense of how more fit or how less fit a phenotype is compared to this fitness reference. And the fitness reference can be anything. Um, it could be the most common phenotype. It could be... Um, the most unique phenotype it could be what the fuck ever but you pick it and then compare everything based off of that now when you have um one allele that has a higher fitness than another than another then you're going to have positive selection and that is um you know exactly what it sounds you just have selection um for that trait and natural selection is going to favor the spread of that allele throughout the population. And you can have what are known as these selective sweeps, where it's a situation where the beneficial mutation spreads through a population. And it can spread into the point where it's fixed, and that's just where it has an allele frequency of one, where every fucking organism has this specific allele that we give a shit about. So that's what we say when it's fixed. And when we measure the strength of selection going on within a population, we use the selection coefficient, which is abbreviated with a lowercase s. And it's just the natural measure of the strength of selection that favors a beneficial allele. Now, because relative fitness depends on us choosing a fitness reference, the selection coefficient is also going to depend on which genotype is chosen to be the fitness reference. So if we choose, you know, the most common allele or most common phenotype to be the fitness reference, it's going to give us a selection coefficient that would be different if we chose the rarest phenotype 
as our fitness reference. So just be careful with that if you're doing shit with it. Um, and this brings us to the rate of adaptation, our first big ass equation that we've got to deal with, that I've got to try to fucking explain. Um, so highly recommend going to check out the slides. This is slide six that we're on where I'm trying to explain this fucking equation. So if we have an allele that we are concerned with, we're going to call that allele A sub two. So just it's a new version of this gene. Okay, so to figure out the rate at which the allele frequency evolves, we're going to call that delta P because P is the shit we're looking at. That's the allele that we're concerned with. So the rate at which that allele frequency evolves is going to be roughly equal to the selection coefficient multiplied by a natural measure of gametic variation. That's going to be our P times 1 minus P. So you might remember that from the last chapter where we talked about Hardy-Weinberg, where we replaced the Q, because Hardy-Weinberg's a lot of times shown as like P plus Q equals 1. We defined Q as 1 minus P. So what we have with this equation is a selection coefficient times the frequency of A2, that's our P, times 1 minus P. So it's the frequency of the two alleles times the selection coefficient will give us the rate at which the allele frequency is going to evolve. So phrasing that another way, the rate of evolution is going to proportional to the strength of selection and the amount of gametic variation. If you have an absence of either of these two things, so there's no strength of selection and there's no gametic variation, there's not going to be evolution by natural selection. And we can use this equation to figure out the frequency of A2, that allele that we concern ourselves with in the next generation, because it's going to be equal to the, its current frequency plus the evolutionary change which makes fucking sense. It's whatever it is now, plus however it's going to change, that's going to give us the frequency of it in the next generation. Now, when we're looking at how quickly um, things are going to adapt, a beneficial allele is going to spread through a population more quickly if it's strongly selected. That makes fucking sense. If it's really strongly selected for, it's going to spread really quickly. Um... And the final outcome is that it's going to become fixed, potentially. And we say it's fixed. That frequency is 1 again. And I didn't mention this before, but when its frequency is 1, the other allele has a frequency of 0 and is eliminated. Now, there is a way to calculate how quickly... A beneficial allele will spread through a population. If the heterozygote has an intermedi intermediate fitness between either homozygote, you can say that the beneficial allele will increase in frequency from approximately 10% all the way up to 90% in 4 divided by S generations. 
So remember, S is our selection coefficient, which is the natural measure of strength of selection. So if you divide f the number four by S, that'll tell you approximately how many generations it would take for beneficial allele to increase from 10% all the way up to 90% if heterozygotes have an intermediate fitness. If they don't have an intermediate fitness, the math gets a bunch, like it gets a hell of a lot crazier, so it gets fucked up, so we're not gonna deal with that because most heterozygotes do have this kind of intermediate fitness. But if we're looking at the rate at which positive selection is going to cause an allele frequency to evolve, it depends on whether or not that allele that we're concerned with is a dominant mutation or a recessive mutation. If it is a dominant mutation, it is gonna spread more rapidly when it's rare because heterozygotes will have the full fitness benefit that a homozygous has. So when that allele is common, almost all of the individuals have a high fitness so it evolves more slowly as it becomes more common. Now, if the allele that we are concerned with, that mutation is recessive, um, when it's rare, it's gonna spread very slowly because only the rare homozygotes will have the fitness advantage. So if it's a dominant mutation, it spreads very quickly at first because everybody has the same fitness advantage, whether they have one copy or two copies. But if it's a recessive, it's gonna spread very, 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 very slowly because only the homozygous recessive individuals are going to have that fitness advantage. And the same logic applies if the mutation is deleterious, so if it's bad, but everything is just negative, so it's just flip-flops. Now, even if you have an allele that has a large fitness advantage, it's probably going to get lost just by chance because as it's trying to increase fitness, there's all this other shit going on working against it. So we'll talk about chances of things sticking around later um, in a different chapter, but it's just, it's very hard for a mutation to stick around because of all the forces working on it at a given point in time. So kind of talking a little bit um, about some evolutionary side effects. What we get Natural selection often has some side effects that result from gametic or genetic correlations when things are inherited together. And it could be inherited together for a wide variety of reasons, but this can lead to evolutionary trade-offs where you have an allele that increases fitness through its effect on one trait, but decreases fitness because of its effect on another. And a really good example of that um, is like skin tone in humans because lighter skin means you can absorb more sunlight to get more vitamin D. You need fucking vitamin D to stay fucking alive and not get what the shit is it? Rickets? Yeah, rickets. Okay. Um, but being lighter skin means you're more prone to developing skin cancer. 
So darker skin protects against skin cancer, but it's also harder to get enough vitamin D from sunlight. So in places where there's not as much sunlight, that's where, or less direct sunlight, that's where lighter skin has evolved. That's why darker skin has evolved closer to the equator where there's more direct sunlight. You need more protection um, against skin cancer than you do that availability to absorb vitamin D or absorb sunlight to get vitamin D. So that's a trade-off. Now natural selection is going to favor whatever allele has the highest overall fitness. Okay, because that makes sense. If you're looking at these things being inherited together, whichever combination gives you the highest fitness advantage, the highest overall fitness advantage, that's going to be the one that you want to go with. So that's the one that natural selection is going to select for. Now, this idea of evolutionary trade-offs and genetic correlations with things inheriting being inherited together can lead to genetic hitchhiking. And this is something that happens when an allele at one locus spreads by natural selection acting on a second locus. Now, these two loci are in linkage disequilibrium with each other. And in case you forgot what the fuck that means, that just means they are inherited together more often than is expected by chance. So what implica one implication of this is that you can have an allele that does not affect fitness, but that can spread by natural selection, which is fucking wild as shit, that you can have something being selected for by natural selection, even though it has absolutely no fucking impact on, natural, on fitness. And it's all because of this hitchhiking and this linkage disequilibrium. Now, when you look at this, we've got another equation to quantify how much change in an allele's frequency will result from hitchhiking. So what we have, we have this delta P, which is the change in frequency of an allele in one generation. So that is like allele B. We're going to call it B sub 2 because that's the one that we're looking to see how much that allele frequency is going to change as a result of hitchhiking. So delta P sub B, the change in frequency of allele B in one generation, is going to be roughly equal to the selection coefficient for allele A such that the relative fitnesses are, you know, one homozygote is equal to one, the heterozygote is 1 plus s, and the other homozygote is 1 plus 2s. So this is where slide 12 on the notes might be a hell of a lot easier to look at it than to kind of me try to explain. But our delta p, change in the frequency of allele b, is roughly equal to the selection coefficient for allele a2 times the linkage disequilibrium between A2 and B2. Now, you might be wondering, how the fuck do I calculate linkage disequilibrium? Because I forgot about that from last chapter. It is equal to the frequency of gametes with both A and B alleles that we are concerned with, minus the product of the frequency of A2 times the frequency of B2. So definitely go back check out that check out the equation on slide 12 is going to save your fucking ass 
um, from me trying to explain this, but summing up this equation, this equation that I just spent a minute or two trying to explain, and it's probably fucking confusing as hell, um, what we're trying to say is that evolution at locus B depends on two quantities. The strength of selection on locus A and the amount of linkage disequilibrium, which makes it a fuck ton easier to understand. If we're looking at how much evolution is occurring at the locus for one allele, for one trait, it depends on how connected it is to the other allele and how strongly that other allele is being selected for. That's all That's all I'm trying to fucking say. And it's just coming out as fucking garbage. So we're just going to move on. Now, um, this idea of genetic hitchhiking, it is responsible for the evolution of genes that have no impact on survival or reproductive success, but do have other effects. And what can happen is if you have an allele that's present in a population that's not initially favored, but then all of a sudden becomes beneficial when things change, what we do is we say selection acts on standing genetic variation. So we got all this fucking variation out there. And when conditions change, that variation can be something that improves the quality of an organism, increases fitness, and because of that, it can spread through this genetic hitchhiking. So this is where we kind of get away from this idea of approaching fixation and start talking about preserving variation. And this is what's known as balancing selection. Selection that maintains a genetic variation within a population. And one of the ways this happens is this idea of overdominance or heterozygote advantage is another way some people discuss this. And this is where the heterozygote has a higher fitness than either homozygote. And there is, of course, a fucking mathematical way to measure all this. So let's assume we have three genotypes. We have homozygous A, we have homozygous S, and we have heterozygote AS. So if we know that the heterozygote has a fitness advantage, has a higher fitness than either homozygote, and we use that heterozygote as our fitness reference, the population is going to reach equilibrium where the frequency of the S allele is equal to 1 minus the relative fitness of AA divided by 2 minus the relative fitness AA minus the relative fitness of SS. That will give us the equilibrium of the where the frequency of the S allele if AS is our fitness reference. So that's fucking confusing as hell. I'll try to say it again. Um, so if we do have a heterozygote who has this heterozygote advantage or this overdominance principle, um, we can figure out when the population will reach equilibrium where the frequency of our S allele by using the equation 1 minus the relative fitness of homozygous AA 
divided by 2 minus the relative fitness of homozygote AA minus the, homo the relative fitness of homozygous SS. Slide 14. Go to the website. Check it the fuck out. Maybe buy some merch while you're there. You know, hoodie, a shirt, a hat, coffee mug. Who the fuck cares? Buy something. It's pretty awesome. Um, little sales pitch there. Now, there are other types of balancing selection other than this idea of overdominance. We have frequency-dependent selection, where the fitnesses of alleles will change depending on their frequency. Um, so that's something where, like, if it's common, it might be very unfit, but if it's rare, it might be very fit. So that would be frequency-dependent selection. And negative frequency dependence is the type of that where allele gets a fitness advantage when it's rare. So I've seen articles on like, oh, when everybody has a beard, clean-shaven is really attractive. And when everybody's clean-shaven, beards are... It's just, you know, what the fuck ever. Whatever's rare has a fitness advantage. That's negative frequency dependence. Um, another type of balancing selection is this idea of multiple niche polymorphism, where different genotypes will specialize on different ecological niches, give them different fitnesses as a result. Um, but those are some other types of balancing selection. Now this brings us to selection that favors something when it is most common. And this is where we bring in this idea of historical contingency, where the outcome of evolution is going to be determined by where the population begins as far as their alleles. And just how we have overdominance, where heterozygotes have a fitness advantage, we have the opposite, which is underdominance, which is the situation where the heterozygotes have the lowest fitness. And what underdominance does is it eliminates genetic variation. And what happens with this is if the allele frequency drops below a particular threshold value, selection is going to drive it out of the population. And this can lead to positive frequency dependence. Now, we just talked about negative frequency dependence, where an allele gets a fitness advantage when it's rare. So you can probably fucking figure out what positive frequency dependence means. And that's where the frequency dependence selection favors the most common allele. Now, when you're looking at all this shit, how selection's working in all this, how fitness is being impacted by this allele or that allele, that brings us to the mean fitness. And mean fitness is written as w, lowercase w with a bar on top, and it's called W bar. If you are following along in the slides, I couldn't figure out how to fucking type W bar, but it's abbreviated W bar, so I just wrote W bar. And it's just the average of all the fitnesses of all the individuals in the population. So how is that population doing on a fitness level from an overall sense? And this brings us to the fundamental theorem of natural selection, which sounds really fucking important. So what this means is when fitness gets normalized so that W bar equals 1, the increase in meat fitness per generation is going to be equal to the genetic variance for fitness itself. 
So what that means is that natural selection is causing a population to evolve so that the organism becomes better adapted to the environment. So the average survival and reproduction of individuals will increase over time. With me so far. Okay, so during the spread of a beneficial allele, frequency will increase slowly when it's rare, accelerate as the allele frequency approaches 0.5, and then slows again as it nears fixation. So when you plot all this shit out, you get what's known as an adaptive landscape. And it's just a plot when the mean fitness, abbreviated with W bar, is plotted against the allele frequency, P. But what happens is you get this like series of peaks and valleys. And natural selection will cause populations to evolve uphill on this adaptive landscape. So these ideas of the fundamental theorem of natural selection and adaptive landscapes make some assumptions that don't apply exactly to any natural population, but it, it's good enough to give a sense of how shit is going down. Okay, now, um, this brings us to deleterious mutations, so bad ones. Everything so far has been talking about if a mutation has been positive, been beneficial, and increases fitness. Now, a vast majority of mutations don't do shit. And the vast majority of mutations that do do shit, that do have an effect on fitness, are bad. Like, we're talking, like, at least 10 times more common than beneficial mutations. So most mutations that do have an effect on fitness are fucking harmful, and we have this idea of purifying selection, which is when we have selection trying to remove these deleterious mutations from the population. So what we end up getting is this mutation selection balance, where we have the flow of new mutations into the population being offset by natural selection that is trying to eliminate those. And the way to calculate that is simply the mutation rate divided by the selection coefficient. That's all it is. Um, now, the deleterious mutation will be more common if it appears at a higher rate, which means it has a higher mutation rate, um, and has weaker deleterious effects, so a smaller s. Which makes fucking sense. If the mutation happens very easily and it doesn't do too much harm, it's going to be a fuck ton more common. And if you increase how um, deleterious it is, it's going to be less rare. Or sorry, it'll be more rare, be less common. Um, or the mutation rate is very small. Okay, And this brings us to an idea of the mutation load. Because... What we have here are these mutations, these deleterious mutations that decrease survival, decrease reproductive success, so they are decreasing a population's fitness. And the impact is going to be independent of whether the effect is strong or weak. It's going to affect fitness negatively. But the mind-blowing shit is that if something is highly deleterious 
or weekly deleterious, it's going to decrease the mean fitness by the same amount. It's crazy. Okay, but that brings us to this, our last equation, our last variable is this idea of a mutation load, which is the proportion by which the mean fitness of individuals in the population is reduced by deleterious mutations compared with a hypothetical population without mutations. And it's equal, so we abbreviate, abbreviate that with a capital L, it is equal to 1 minus the mathematical constant E to the negative U, where U is the total mutation rate across the genome for deleterious mutations, and E is equal to like 2.71 or some shit. Okay. Um, but what's important to note is that there is no S. There's no size of the effect on fitness in this equation. The effect of a deleterious mutation on a population's fitness is unaffected by the size of that mutation's effect on fitness. Okay, so um, what we get as a result of all this shit is this sense of we have mutations and these mutations are going to affect fitness some fucking way. And that is going to lead to evolution of our phenotypes. Because that's what we were talking We were talking about how these alleles are selected for or selected against. And that will take us to chapter 6 next week when we talk about phenotypic evolution. But that's fucking it for today. So, um, really hope you followed along with the slides on this one. Going to make things a shit ton easier for you. Um, but now we're at the end where I get to all the housekeeping stuff where, you know, give us a rating on Apple podcasts so we can get the word out more, get up those charts. Um, go and leave one on Podchaser. They're still donating until the end of April. Um, 25 cents for every review. And if you leave me a review, I will leave a response back and they'll donate another 25 cents, um, to Meals on Wheels. So that's really great. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at Bio for Bastards on everything. Um, yeah, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Our intro and outro music is the song Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. And I have been your host, John Doty. And until next time, thanks for listening. So you may have just heard an ad, but I can't end with an ad. So just wanted to say, follow us on Twitter at bio for bastards um, Our intro and outro music is Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell everybody you know about it. And again, thanks for listening.